Uh, grab a Bible this morning. Um, <clears throat> here's what's going to happen. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to spend, there's going to be the first half of this message, and it's going to argue you into a bit of a corner so that you have to agree with me, which is the right, you want to agree with me, okay? Because otherwise the rest of the message won't, won't work. So, and then we're going to pivot and make application to uh, this Isaiah uh, passage we've been in, talking about the root and the shoot and out of the stump of, of Jesse. And so um, it, it, that pivot is, it won't, it won't seem so abrupt now that I've let you know that it's going to happen, right? Um, if, uh, if you haven't been here and you, you weren't here with us on either Christmas Eve or before that, um, then uh, you, I'm going to catch you up just in one verse um, uh, from uh, Isaiah chapter 11. So if you uh, have a Bible, you're going to want that this morning because it's going to be right out of the text and... Um, there's going to be a, a dialogue between us this morning, and it's going to go, it's very simple. I'm going to read part of the text, and then I'm going to ask you, has this happened yet? Okay? So it's already, yeah, it happened, or not yet, it's, it's still to come. Okay? Already or not yet? That's kind of the question here. When is the fulfillment of these things to be? And um, so with that being said, uh, Isaiah 11, 1, is the su- summation of where we'll be this morning, and it says this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So we started with a stump that will, will, will produce a shoot from it, and the branch that comes out of that, that's from the roots of that, will bear fruit. So we're getting all the way to maturity, and so Isaiah's looking forward, and he's, he's saying this will happen. Now let me ask you a question, already or not yet? Already. If, if, if you celebrated Christmas and believe that Jesus came in the flesh as God in the, or excuse me, Jesus came and that was God in the flesh, that's what this is referring to. That from the, the stump and the line of Jesse, for, from David's uh, offspring will come this shoot, and that is Jesus, right? So, so that's happened already. It's happened. So Isaiah is often called um, in like theological circles, the gospel of the Old Testament, because Isaiah uh, does a good job of painting a a forward-looking picture about what a, a redeemer figure will be. And so he starts talking about this servant of the Lord who's going to have all these qualities. And, and so he, he paints a, a picture for us of what um, the, the servant of God should look like. And Israel, who is called God's son, Israel as the nation, is not doing a very good job doing what they're supposed to do as God's servant, as God's son. And so, so Isaiah's looking forward to a time where there's going to be some discipline on the nation because of that, but then he looks even past that about the redemption that will follow through that discipline. And that's exactly where we're at in this passage, that, that there, will, there will come from this discipline, that's the stump part of it, the discipline part of it where, where God has to cut off this tree, this nation, and this line, and then, but from that, he's going to produce something good and something new. And, and so that's what Isaiah helps us look forward to. And so everything that... Um, it's kind of broken and wrong, is going to be put to right with this new source, this new life, and this new root. And so if you rewind back a couple chapters in Isaiah 9, um, he, he's, he's also painting the picture of this redeemer figure, this servant figure, and we, we get that uh, famous passage we read a lot at, at Christmas time too, and it, will, it says there, there will come one who is, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Hallelujah. right? That's the deal. Right? That, that's painting the picture of this servant. And Isaiah has been doing that for the nation so that they know what to look forward to after God has executed discipline. And so he's, he's really painting a picture of what redemption means and, and why God's bringing redemption through discipline. And so we kind of get this past, present, future 
um, perspective in Isaiah. And so a lot of these things are in Isaiah's future. They're in our past. And so the question now that we have to wrestle with a little bit is, well, what are the implications of these things? So if we say, if we say verse 1 has happened, we get to celebrate Christmas, then there's some implications that follow from that. Now, how many of you guys got something other than um, like a, a gift card for Christmas? Like you got something wrapped in a box and it's something you wanted, you desired? It was like product, some sort of thing, something, yeah? Yes or no? Okay. Every, every product, every, uh, thing that you would, you would buy, um, on the outside of it, it, it says like what, what it is, but also there's usually a picture of it. And it's not usually a picture of just the product itself. It, it usually pictures that product being used or interacted with, right? And so what, what's being sold, yes, is the product itself, but then beyond that, the advertisement is meant to give you a preview of what that product will do if you use it in the way it's intended. Yes? Okay, and then sometimes it tells you, like, why that product is better than all the other products that maybe like it, right? And so, like, you know, long-lasting and, you know, new and improved, space-age, Italian design, that would be the best. And so, and, and so you read these features, and you're like, great, and you look at that picture, and, and now if I use this product, you know, people will love me, stories will be written about me, I need to use this product, right? So there's a preview of what will happen if you use this, yes? Okay, and, and if you tore that package open, on Christmas and you saw that and you read it and, you, and you're envisioning what life will be like as you use this product. Like, are you with me in this moment? Even if it wasn't this year, you, you know this moment, yes? Okay, this is what Isaiah is doing. Isaiah said, there's a product coming and then he's going to list some features of this product. He's going to give, give the character of it. And then beyond that, he's going to give the implications of it. And he's going to like draw this advertisement of what it looks like when it's in play, when, it, when, it's, when it's being used. And so we're going to move now into the next verses. So verses uh, two and on. And the spirit of the Lord, so that, that shoot that will come up, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Did I get that right? Here we go. There we are. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Already or not yet? Woo! I've already lost you. Already or not yet? So Isaiah said the shoot's going to come. And here's what's going to happen. He's, he, he's going to, the spirit of the Lord will be upon him. And he, he's going to not judge with, with the kind of judgments that we use as human beings, looking with their eyes. He's going, to see, he's going to judge with right judgment. And with justice, he's going to decide for the poor. And he's going to provide things that aren't provided right now. And so uh, you, if you're saying, if you're, if you're already backing away and saying, well, that doesn't sound like something he's done yet, um, let me make my case. So Isaiah is here filling out the rest of this portrait of, um, of the, the Redeemer figure, the, the servant of the Lord. And um, he's, he's pictured as a perfect ruler. And Isaiah here mentions several times the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. If you read it and you start counting on your fingers, the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. And then there's 
three following twofold pieces of the Spirit of the Lord, which means the sevenfold, the full perfection of the Spirit of the Lord is on the servant. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's the sevenfold fullness of the Spirit of God will rest on this figure. And so because of that, because he has all of what he needs to to execute God's perfect uh, redemption and, and, and justice on the, on the earth, he brings that with him. So Israel has failed to do this. They were supposed to reflect what God was like, and they've, they've not done that. And so this servant figure picks up where they've failed, and he will succeed in the ways where they've left off. And so because of this, we, we, we would say that this has happened. Um, let, let, me, uh, let me let Jesus make the case for you. I, I just read it for you in, um, in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me and here's what I'm here to do. And then he quotes from Isaiah and he says, I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor, right? I'm here to set captives free and give sight to the blind. He's giving the good news. He's, he's come to proclaim these things. Now, where you may have gotten lost then is in, uh, in 4 because you say, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. Well, that, that's good. You want the poor to be judged righteously. And, okay, well, he did that. When, when he came and, and there were people that in need, now you're thinking poor like money poor. He's not, you're, you're poor is spiritually poor. This is the kind of justice and righteousness that you need from a redeemer figure. And, and that's what he's done. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And you say, well, when did he do that? Well, Jesus said, all of my words are what you will be judged by. I, I'm not come to judge you. It, you'll, be, you'll be judged by what I speak. So this is the rod of his mouth. The breath of his lips is what will be used to strike the earth. The earth is all of the world. Everybody will be judged by these things. So the righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. That's true. And faithfulness, the belt of his loins. And so, listen, the shoot is Christ. We're told that. And, and you, you get that. Okay, well, yeah, he came up from the line of, of David and from the root of Jesse. And then in, in Revelation 22, uh, I showed you this on, on Christmas Eve. Jesus says, look, I, I'm both the root and the shoot. I'm both. I'm the source and what's produced. So there's, there's a holy difference in what is existing now in this servant. And so Christ is the righteous one who produces righteous fruits. And so the servant of the Lord is promised to bring something that we did not have before. Um, I might have that Luke passage. Nope. But here we go. Let's, so so you, you might be on the fence. It, Jesus said, I, I came to do these things and whether or not you think that already happened or not uh, is largely biblical. He, he came and this is what he did. He preached these things and brought good news to the poor. He, he lived righteously. So I would, I would argue strongly to say not yet is a problem. Now you're looking for another redeemer to come to provide the things that Isaiah said the shoot will bring. Okay? All right. So let's move to, to verse 6. It says, now this is where I'm really going to lose you, but I'll, I'll just acknowledge it straight out of the way. It says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. These are all snakes, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the earth. Already or not yet? Well, I'm guessing if you already voted not yet on the last two verses, you're really looking forward to something else. And, 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 uh, 
And I think this is exactly, this is where I anticipated losing you. And so this is where I'm going to, I'm going to stump here to get you to not disconnect these promises from what Isaiah intends to connect them to. It would have been, if you um, crack open any old uh, commentary on, on these verses up until, I'll say the last hundred years or so, you're going to find this interpreted the way I'm about to show you, the way I'm about to tell you, which is this. Isaiah has not suddenly changed uh, gears. He's not gone down a different path. He was speaking about the appearance of a redeemer. That shoot, that, that came up from the stump of Jesse. And, and he's come from a, a different route. And we say, well, yeah, that's Jesus. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, here I am. I've been anointed to do this thing. I'm going to judge with righteousness. He did that. Yeah, we, we get that. And he says, but, be, but in that, in doing that, here's what's going to happen. And we think, Okay, well, now Isaiah's talking about some, some distant future in heaven. But he's not done that. He's connecting what will come out of, this is the advertisement on the box, okay? And you see this, and you read it, and you say, that seems so great. That seems like, like perfect peace uh, that, you know, people, people are playing with snakes. Babies are playing with snakes. Um, you know, bears and, and lions are, are dancing and stuff. That's not in there, but it's implied. Like, you, you get the idea. Things that, that where there was enmity, it's been removed, okay? Now, Jesus did not come as an actual stick, right? He wasn't a piece of wood. You know this, yes? Okay. Isaiah's speaking in symbolism, in metaphor. He, he's saying, this is what it's going to be like. And, and so he uses things that are, are predator and prey and things that naturally have animosity. And then he specifically moves to the idea of these snakes, in which case they will, their, their venom and, and their enmity between man and, and, and themselves, looking like hearkening back to the curse, will be removed. And he says, they, they won't have any effect in all of my holy mountain. Why? Okay. Well, he, he's, he's, he's looking to the point where the removal of the curse happens in Christ. Now, he emphasizes a, a couple of, of times here that there's going to be a removal of of Things where, where, we, where we find danger or, or we're afraid, right? Like you wouldn't normally, um, you know, let your kids play with snakes or, and, and that's not what's being advocated here. He's not saying there's a literal picture. Now I'm not saying that won't exist somewhere in heaven, but if you disconnect this picture from, from what it's meant to give you, which is the courage and strength to live right now like this is true, then you will always live with, with God Jesus himself, the product, in the box. And you'll put him on the shelf and you'll say, won't that be great someday when that comes to pass? And you'll have no courage, you'll have no impetus to do anything to share God with anyone else. But the, the purpose in painting this picture is because it's true. He's not just flourishing so that he, he, he can give you some, some encouragement that's not meant to give you anything uh, for, for now and for today. Now, uh, that, that now and today is important. So let's move now to the next couple of verses because he says, in that day. Now, he's going to say in that day a couple of times. He's not changed any, there's been no temporal, that's, that's time relative term. There's been no temporal statement made until now. So it just said, when the shoot comes up, here's what his character will be like. Here's what's going to be happening in the world. And in that day, when you see the shoot come, Here's what's going to be going on, okay? So in that day. Now, don't think one day it has to all happen. 
Some of you guys are familiar with the phrase, back in my day, we did this. And you don't mean we only did that on one day. You mean an era of time, right, that's been introduced. And sometimes you still do that thing. It's the same idea here. In this day, once, once it's been inaugurated and ongoing now, it's, a still, it's still occurring, but it's no less substantive. We don't see it in its fullness, but it's happening. So it's an already, but not yet. It's both, okay? He's painting the picture of what it could be like in perfection, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist at all now, okay? So it's, it's, it's coming. So in that day, the root of Jesse, same, same guy, same, same, same point of time, the root of Jesse shall stand, and he will be a signal for the peoples of him, and shall, uh, of him shall the nations inquire. The nations there um, gets variously translated as Gentiles, it's literally everybody except for the Jews. If you were not born a Jew, you're, you're the nations, okay? So just read me here, okay? In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for everybody, okay? For everyone, for the peoples of him, shall the people inquire. All the nations and his resting place shall be glorious. Two more verses, and then we'll, we'll go back over it. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. Now, Isaiah's writing this at a time where the, the, the kingdom of Israel, it's broken into two, right? There's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Israel falls first. They were a little more wicked than Judah was, and they fall to the kingdom of Assyria. And Babylon comes, and they conquer Judah a little bit later. And they're both taken into captivity. And so what God's doing is after his discipline, he says, not only am I going to recover the remnants of all of the exiles that got taken to Assyria and to Babylon, I'm going to bring more people with them. Everybody, everybody in the pool now, okay? So he says, now he's going to list these places that don't mean as much to us because we're not Jews who have been taken captive into these places. But he says, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Whoops. He will raise a signal for the nations, for everyone. A signal is a banner, a flag. It's, 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 it's beckoning. It's a beacon. It says, Come. Okay, that's what's going to happen. And he will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So now the picture is this. Not only will the Redeemer come, not only will we have the perfect spirit and wear the belt of righteousness and execute justice and by the words that he speaks, will he give what's needed? And he's going to remove enmity between us and the curse and that we'll feel safe on this holy mountain. But he's going to be the beacon that draws all kinds of people to himself and unites them under his banner. Already or not yet. If you're, if you're saved, it's already. If you're a Gentile under the banner of Christ, it's already. This is the problem with disconnecting that middle portion from where we stand now. This is what, what Jesus came to do, to reconcile all mankind, not just one nation, to himself. The picture being painted is, is actually, uh, it's very poetic. That at the first tree where our parents, mankind, fractured the relationship between us and God, and enmity entered, and the curse entered, and brokenness entered, at that tree, well, our parents fell, but now at this new tree, this new shoot that's come up, new life has come, a new root out of a better root, 
which is Jesus Christ himself, and the fruit that's produced thereof. He's uniting all peoples under this tree, and they all come to him under his banner. It's a beacon that sits on the hill. This is the tree of life that's pictured in Revelation 22. The root, the shoot, the branch, all of these come together to be the signal. This is the tree that restores all things. A couple of points I want to make just in passing. This isn't like the main point today, but in John, um, in John 12, 32, Jesus is talking about his crucifixion, his coming crucifixion, and he says this, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. It says he said this, uh, prophetically speaking about the kind of death he would die. Now, there is, um, uh, you know, various debates about how high off the ground would, would an actual crucifixion cross actually be? But it's not so much the idea that Jesus was raised a certain number of feet off the ground so that everybody could see him. Jesus is saying, in the same way that um, Moses lifted this snake in the wilderness, so too, when I am lifted up as the curse, I will draw all people to me. Now, that's not my words, that's Jesus' words. In John 3, he said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, if you're not familiar with that, what happened is the, the people of Israel, they're in the wilderness and they're grumbling. And so God sent some snakes to remind them that he's a good God, okay? And he began biting the people and they're dying. And so the Lord commanded Moses to make this bronze serpent. And he said, if you, you're bit and you look upon this snake, then you, you won't die. And so this snake being a, a picture of their sin that they look upon is what actually preserves them from, from the curse. Does that make sense? So Jesus is saying, in the same way that Moses did that, that's what I need to do. I need to be lifted up as the curse so that all people can look to me and be saved. Not just one people, but all peoples. And so that's why the John 12 passage makes sense. Jesus said, when I am lifted up as the curse, once, I, once I've been crucified and I am like that bronze serpent, I'm crucified and I become sin for you, I take your sin on me, then by looking to me there, that's where I draw all men and provide healing. So the whole story comes full circle. Now, Jesus says also one more important phrase on the cross. He says, behold, I make all things new. He is making new creation now. He's providing new life now to all who would come in faith. Now, there's... Um, uh, uh, an interlude of uh, a few verses here. And they're, they're all just tracking through the, the, um, the, the removal of enmity between the tribes of Israel, but that God is bringing all things together in Christ under one head, under one banner to himself. And in Romans 15, I... Yes. This is Romans 15. Now, this is Paul speaking. And if you were unconvinced, okay? Like, Mitch, I get your case, okay. In some way, I, I guess it's okay, kind of true, already not yet. I'll buy in that level of it. This is, this is Paul kind of uh, giving the conclusion and the summation of, of what I've tried to lay out as an already and an important already, okay? So in Romans 15, Paul says this, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jews, okay? He came and he was a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Now, 
I could go through a litany of promises that were given to the patriarchs, but the main ones are, from Abraham's offspring will become a blessing through all the nations. And also, on David's throne will sit one who rules forever and ever, and his kingdom will, will be glorious, and he'll rule perfectly and righteously. Okay? So those kinds of promises were made to the people, the, the Jews. And Jesus was a Jew, and he fulfills these things. And so to fulfill those promises, Christ came as a servant to them to confirm the promises that were given. But also in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So now he's moved past that initial promise, but also to all peoples, to all the nations. He, 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 that's why he became a servant. Now, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Okay? Now he's going to quote three times the purpose of God doing these things. How many times? Three times. He's going to reiterate it, and then he's going to recap it with a quote from Isaiah. First, he says that, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That I there is, is speaking of someone who's a Jew. I will praise you, you God, Yahweh, Lord of all. I'll praise you among the Gentiles, so that, and I'll sing to your name. Now, that's, that's an evangelical kind of beckoning. I want, to, I want to extol who you are among the Gentiles, okay? Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And the result of that is that the Gentiles are somehow brought into this, that they see the goodness of God, and they too join into the praise of God. O Gentiles, with his people, that's Israel. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all peoples extol him. So he goes, first, Jews, among the Gentiles, praise the Lord. And then he's like, Gentiles, join in. And then he's like, everybody together, Praise the Lord, okay? Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Are you with me so far? Okay. He's not done making his point because then he goes, again, Isaiah says, okay? Now he's going to wrap the whole thing together. Starting with the shoot of, of Jesse to the Gentiles' salvation. The root of Jesse will come. Even he arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. You can't cut the middle part out as though it doesn't exist. It's the most important piece. Now, your heart and your experience wants you to cut that out because you, you've experienced adversity and trial and difficulty and you say, this peace on earth doesn't exist. I don't, I don't feel there's no enmity between me and the curse. This is, this is our biggest hurdle, our biggest obstacle, and now, now we're gonna pivot, okay? I've stumped for why I, I want you to believe this to be true, that this whole prophecy from Isaiah is meant for you now. It's already in progress, but it's not yet fully realized, but we're supposed to help get there. Why? Because our end point is that we're all together praising God, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, everyone together extolling the goodness of God. Being redeemed is ultimately to the praise of the Redeemer. Okay? So, so God's gone to great lengths to provide a worthy redeemer. He's gone to great lengths to provide a, a redeemer that re redeems us from our, our problems, from our sin, from our shame, from the, from the things that we can't reach on our own, and provided those things. Okay? Now, we look at those things and we say, but what about all these things that I really want? Which is health, happiness, and family and friends and power and, okay? You, you don't recognize the need that's actually been provided and you have 
concluded wrongly that the picture on the box painted a, a picture that wasn't meant for you. It's meant for some other time. Now, I've got some major holes I could poke in that, mainly that there's still wicked people in heaven or that there's infants in heaven. If you, if you think that picture that Isaiah's painting is for some other time, way in the distant future, it's not. It's, it's meant for us now to hold on to. Let me tell you a story that you've heard before, but I want you to hear it again now with like some fresh ears. In Luke chapter 8, it says this, One day he, that's Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let's go across to the other side of the, to the lake. And so they set out. And as they sailed, he, Jesus, fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water, and they were in danger. And, um, and they were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and then Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, now here's, here's the important question, where is your faith? Where's your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that commands even the winds and the water to obey him? You've heard this story, right? You've heard the story. They set out on the lake. Uh, Jesus falls asleep in the boat somewhere in the front, which I couldn't do on a calm lake, man. But anyway, Jesus, out, out cold, right? And then a, a big storm comes. Somehow Jesus is still asleep. And, and in the midst of the storm, they say, we're in danger. We're perishing. We're taking on water. And uh, so let's wake up Jesus, okay? And, and so they wake him up. And don't, Jesus, don't you care that we're dying? Don't you care that we're in danger, right? Jesus, get your eyes on the things that we are looking at. Get, get your eyes on, on the problems that we're perceiving as really our threat. And, and isn't the promise of you being in the boat mean that we shouldn't have her encounter any of these storms? And Jesus asked, where is your faith? He's standing in front of them. That's the parenthetical thing. He, he asked, where is your faith? Asking, like, what did you think? might happen? Or, or what were you expecting differently? And, and so the answer or non-answer to that helps us see the problem. If you assume something different than what Jesus actually provides, then you're never going to take the encouragement from what he actually provides, okay? If, if Jesus in the boat means that you never have to encounter the storm, you've assumed wrongly. Case in point, right? Jesus is in the boat, but he's, he's not worried about it. He's asleep. Even amidst the storm, he's, he's asleep. He, he's, he knows he's not in danger. They should conclude from the fact that they're with Jesus, they too are not in danger. Not in any real sense of the word, right? Not in any like, real threatening way to our lives. Now, now take this idea and ask, in your life, is this how you see having Jesus in you applied? Or do you think something like, yeah, that's a nice picture, Mitch, but I really wish that that picture painted things where I'm, and then I, I listed all the things that you really are preoccupied with and not the thing that Jesus actually gives you for the purpose that he gives it to you for. Our hope is in Jesus, the person, not the, not the advertisement, okay? Not the product even. It's, it's, the, it's the person in the relationship. And Jesus picks up on this, this idea and if you will, the metaphor of him being this branch, and he, and he begins speaking about being the vine, the true vine. In John 15, he says, I am the true vine. 
Like it, and, and he talks about over and over the, the um, importance of us abiding in him. And if we're in him, then he's in us. And, and we have to remain that way. And if you're apart from him, then you can't produce anything. Without me, you can't, you can't give any life. You can't produce anything without the source of life. So you must mean connected to me. And he says, if you don't produce fruit, then you're going to be pruned. My father prunes all the branches that don't produce any fruit. But he says, you will produce fruit. You will produce fruit. So what, what does that mean? What, what, is, what is the fruit that should be produced from the reality that there is life in us, Jesus' own life in us? And he says that that pruning will happen so that we will produce fruit. So here's where I'm going to try to land our plane this morning. You're, you're looking maybe to the next year and if you're still in the habit of like making some kind of resolutions about New Year's or some, some personal improvement thing that you need to do, you know what's like far more important than that? It's to reconcile this, this truth and this hope. We, we have gotten into the habit of doing the things that seem, seem, seem right to us, that maybe come easier to us, and, and calling that spiritual growth. Or, like, this is not pointed at any one person or figure or group, but doing the same things and assuming that that's, that's fruit. And I want to bring you all the way back around to what was iterated three times in that Romans passage. I will praise you among people. Do you know what, Joan's gonna kill me for this, but do you know what, what God wants more than your financial investment in this church? The fruit of, of Jesus' life coming out in your life. Not just your attendance at this church, not, not a check that you can write out of your surplus, that among the people, that the fruit is what brings people in. And if you keep all the fruit in here, it goes rotten and rancid. That's not, that's not what Jesus will produce. Jesus produces fruit through your life, wherever it is, and it extends it out into the people so that the people will be drawn to him. And he does that in new ways. He produces things not in the ways that you are comfortable doing. He's gonna, he needs to produce fruit through you by his spirit, not by your efforts, in uncomfortable ways. New growth, it's like, it's like um, tender and it's, and it's awkward, right? And you've gotten so used to saying, I, I don't get out. I don't have anybody to invite. I don't know who to talk to God about, or talk to other people about God too. I think I've, you got the point, right? Like you say, I don't have anybody to talk to. Here's, here's my, my New Year's prayer for you. That, that God gives you so many embarrassingly easy opportunities to produce fruit for him. That you, you will not be able to, to help yourself. And that, that new fledgling thing will grow into maturity. And, and guess what else he has to do? It says he has to prune is to prune things so that it can produce fruit. I'm not a gardener at all, but I know that it's like, you know, an old 
branch or like something that gets calloused over and you nip it a little bit closer and then it produces like fresh and, and new fruit comes for that. It, that, that first like snip probably is painful. Like there's probably some things, some vestiges and some petrified ways in, in the branches of your life where, where Jesus is going to produce fruit, but it, it means breaking some things off and it'll be painful. But it won't happen unless you submit to that process with the idea that it's not just about you. It's for the good of others and for God's glory. What I, I pray for this church is if it's God's will, that he would grow it. But you know what? I can assure you this. Without new fruit in you, this church cannot grow. Period. I'm going to let that set just enough. I, I'm not saying if new fruit is produced that we will grow, but I know for sure if it's not, we won't. And that new, that new fruit is you submitting all of the ways of your life for God and you turn it over to him. And how, how can I make this productive for you, Jesus? Use, use my life for you. So my, my new year prayer for you is that you would be blessed in abundance so that you know that that's not meant to terminate on you and that you would give it away. But then also that you will be presented with new opportunities and, and that God would use whatever means to, to snip off the places in your heart and in your life that have kind of grown over and they're not really producing any fruit and it would be fresh and it's going to be tender and hard, but that it would grow new places that you will produce fruit, not for this church, but for, for God's kingdom. The last, the last of this uh, chapter, let me, let me read um, the last verse there. It says, all the formal rivalries have been removed between people. And then it goes on, and um, let me just read it. There will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people. He, he's harking back to, to the um, Exodus language. Out of the, came out of Egypt, and he says, um, as there was for Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. So that when the people leave and, and they come, they, they find that there's no, there's no um, obstacles in their way. There was, a, there was a Red Sea between them and, and fleeing from Pharaoh's army, and God split the waters, and he brought a highway out. And we are meant to be the, the beckoning highway for people. We're supposed to remove those obstacles so that all of the nations can come and praise God. What I want to do um, for our uh, time this morning that remains is there's uh, the next chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 12. 